0: Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week. It's Monday, October 25th, 2021. We're excited to talk about all the fish. I'm Kaskrema Lebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska.
1: And I'm Dai Eero, guy looks in and weeks at camera.
0: And this special Halloween episode is all about zombie salmon and the underappreciated end of life and afterlife phase of the salmon life cycle.
1: So Katrina, normally on this show, we're talking about a particular species of fish, but this time around, we're talking about a particular stage in the life cycle of multiple species of fish.
0: And we're talking about, yeah, specifically Pacific salmon. And they're kind of, it's kind of sad, but amazing. But you know, every Pacific salmon, when they return to spawn, they're all going to die. And they're all going to go through this phase where they're kind of like living dead. They get really moldy. They're still going to be like trying to do their thing spawning. But yeah, they just get kind of real creepy at the end there. And that's what we're going to be talking about today.
1: So what is the strategy here? Why do all these fish go through this same experience?
0: So they're kind of like vessels. So they're trying to get their gametes upstream, right? And some of them are going to be traveling like a thousand miles plus, going through really tricky rapids, really kind of complicated systems here. It's a crazy feat and it kind of takes everything that they've got to make that happen. So I guess in terms of changes that we're going to see, you're going to see, you know, silver fish entering the rivers, all the different salmon, they're out in the ocean, they're silver, and you're going to start to see their sides kind of blush with pigments. So some of them are going to turn, you know, bright red like a sockeye. Cohos are going to get kind of reddish kings, reddish, brownish chums are going to get those crazy tiger stripes on them. But basically, pigments are moving from their flesh, I believe, into their skin. And for both sexes, the the fat that's stored in their flesh, it's going to get all used up by the time they get to the spawning grounds because it's such an incredible journey for them to get there. And I mean, if you think about what they're carrying upstream, they're carrying a ton of eggs. It's like a big kind of package of eggs. Each fish has, if it's a female, it's got these two really big skeins of eggs is what they're called. And then the males have these big testes inside. They're huge, um, and they've got to get those upstream. So I think they put all their energy into doing that. Some of the other changes that happen, males are going to get that really gnarly looking kype, So it looks like a big hook nose. So if you look at a salmon on a male, it's always going to be on the top jaw versus a char. They're going to have a big kype on the bottom jaw. Gums are going to pull back, exposing their teeth. Their skin's going to thicken. Those scales that were once pretty silvery, they're going to get absorbed into the body and this is progressive so eventually they're going to have just widespread deterioration of their cardiovascular system their stomach's going to contract you know their intestines are going to atrophy basically they're going into starvation mode they're not eating at this time and they've just got these crazy changes that happen but they're they're tough fish you know even with all this happening You're going to see them like fighting each other on the spawning grounds. They're going to be raking their teeth against each other's sides. They're going to be grinding their tails into the gravel, trying to, you know, make a spot where the A's can get deep enough under the gravel where they're going to survive that ice scouring and those spring floods. And where where that's happening, you'll see scrapes on them and those are going to get kind of filled in with fungus and start to get all fuzzy and nasty looking as the run kind of goes on. Super, super cool looking.
1: Have you ever handled one of these decaying carcasses? I have. So it sounds like, okay, you're losing all of this sort of peripheral, anything that's not related to getting to the spawning grounds or producing the gametes, it's kind of going out the window. And one of those things that we think about that protects fish is their slime layer on the outside. And I would imagine if they're getting all these fungal infections, that's probably related to them losing that slime layer. So I was wondering, is there a physical difference when you Feel one of these dying fish versus uh, a fish out of the ocean. Do do these dying fish not feel as slippery?
0: They're kind of fuzzier, I would say. So I've seen many different types of fungus on the fish. I mean, I've seen, I saw a king salmon here in town and she was just kind of sitting still in the water and her entire head was just like this kind of thick, mossy looking fungus. So she couldn't see me. Her eyes were completely like covered with the fungus. But yeah, they they definitely feel different than catching a fresh fish. They get skinnier. They just yeah, they degrade incredibly. It's it's sad but really fascinating to see.
1: For my master's work, I worked with uh, Saprolegnia, which is I think the primary organism causing this. And yeah, it's a nasty critter. It's just slimy and gross. During the last little bit of my experiments, I went to a Mexican restaurant, and just the I ordered some enchiladas, and the drooping cheese that came off of those <laughs> it almost made me sick because I'd been working with this cephalecious stuff uh, for a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it almost looks like a graveyard in the streams. Like after all the the tourists have gone home and people aren't fishing anymore, you'll see like just carcasses littering the streams, and they're in various, you know, phases of decay with, yeah, white patches and.
1: Ever gone up to a carcass only to have it kick away from you a little bit because it isn't quite dead yet?
0: Yeah. Yep. I thought for sure I saw this one sockeye and I was like, man, that thing is for sure dead. And then it just kind of slowly swam off. I've seen them still alive, kind of in rigor mortis. I don't know if that's exactly what they're in, but man, they are like stiff. They can't move very well. I've seen chum salmon up north of here, and man, they are rough looking. They are like skinny and just like white and moldy, and they are still trying to spawn and they're still like chasing females. Do
1: you think the males are more in this? Because it seems like the females, they they have a set number of eggs that they can spawn with. And once those are gone, there's no real reason for them to hang on anymore. But the males, they can kind of keep maybe producing milt. And then spawn as much. So do you see the males get to a, a further state of decay, trying to hold on to that last little bit than the females? Or is, does it seem equal?
0: Yeah, maybe. I can re- recall the male chums. They seem like the ones that are pretty active, still trying to do their thing up until the very end when they're pretty much dead. How long
1: does the streams look like this? Because I got to imagine that there's a lot of nutrients that other things can come in and scavenge upon and that it probably won't last throughout the winter. Come springtime, these these bodies are probably gone.
0: So, I mean, you start to see the bodies, I would say. I mean, I start noticing them September. You'll see them October, November. But yeah, through time, the the flow and the ice are going to kind of move things around. And then, you know, before that happens, you're going to have bears getting these fish, bringing them up on shore. You're going to have eagles. You're going to have a lot of different animals that are kind of partaking in this buffet of salmon as they come back in various stages of their decay. Yeah, and they're going to bring them on shore. They're going to carry nutrients up onto the banks. Those nutrients are going to go into the trees eventually. The nutrients are going to be in the stream feeding the bugs that are going to feed the juvenile salmon in the coming years. I mean, it's a really neat process whereby these fish are out in the ocean. They go to the ocean to get big, right? They gather all the nutrients from the marine environment, those marine-derived nutrients, and then they bring them back into fresh water. And it's like a huge input of nutrients to these freshwater systems that wouldn't normally be here if there weren't salmon here. Could you talk to us a little bit about how folks might measure that impact, that positive impact? I mean, we can see it with their eyes, but how do people actually measure that?
1: So I've never actually done these tests myself, but I believe what they're looking at is is doing a sort of a stable isotope analysis, looking at stable as opposed to, you know, radioactive decaying isotopes. In particular, they're looking at, I believe, nitrogen-15 which is an isotope of nitrogen that's really common out in the ocean, but not very common in terrestrial systems. So you can measure the relative concentrations of nitrogen-14 and nitrogen-15 and determine how much of that nitrogen came up from the ocean. And I believe I've read a study that said somewhere like 80% of the nitrogen in coastal forest trees originally came from the ocean system. So these salmon, they come up, and they're having a big impact on the growth of of these systems. You imagine a bear eats a salmon, and then, Katrina, do you know where a bear defecates? In the woods? Yes, in the woods.
0: I mean, all over, I guess. But
1: (laughs) I was going for in the woods. (laughs) As we all know, bears poop in the woods, and that gets taken up by all these trees and these bushes. You have a carcass laying there, a blowfly comes down, it lays its eggs on this fish, These maggots, they eat away all the flesh uh, right off the bone. And then those hatch into flies. Flies, they go, they get caught by fly catchers, other birds. They get caught in spider webs. And so you can just sample all these animals and plants in terrestrial systems where salmon live. And you can see that they got a lot higher nitrogen-15 concentration.
0: That's crazy. And what's really cool, I mean, the more nutrients the trees have along the stream, so in that riparian zone those trees when they fall in they're going to be bigger they're going to be able to create good habitat for the next generation of salmon so it's kind of like things are almost working together to to benefit the salmon
1: these inputs really affect terrestrial systems but of course they affect the aquatic systems too these these salmon as are getting broken down by those saprolegnia uh, those fungi grown on the fish as those will eat down into the carcasses and those release nutrients into the water which are typically uptaken by algae. And those algae are eaten by little insects and their larval and their nymph stages on the bottoms of rocks. They'll eat those. And then those will be prey for lots of other fish in the system for uh, the juvenile salmon. Once they start to hatch, they need something to eat. And so these bodies, once even though the salmon are rotting away, they're really actually even providing for the next generation, a lot of nutrients that will allow them to grow big and then uh, eventually go back out to sea and repeat the cycle.
0: So theoretically, if you're a baby salmon, you could be eating the bug that ate your mom and dad. Well, probably
1: eating the, well, either eating the bug that ate your mom and dad or eating the bug that ate the algae that ate the nutrients that was put into the system by the fungi that ate your mom and dad.
0: There you go. That's about Something
1: like that. <laughs> Food webs, aren't they crazy? So let's talk about bears eating brains. <laughs>
0: Brains are brains are nutritious, so you're going to go after the most nutritious thing you can. So when there's a ton of salmon in the system, you can actually walk along creeks and you can see where bears have just taken the top of the head of the salmon that are up on the banks. And man, they are I mean, a salmon brain is very small. I'd say it's probably maybe the length of less than a dime. So if you think about, I mean, this is a tiny little morsel for a bear, but brains are very rich in nutrients. So when bears are trying to get the most that they can before they go into hibernation, they're going to go after those brains.
1: Well, what are these bears trying to do? They're trying to put on fat for the winter. And now yep. we also talked about how these salmon are losing a lot of fat.
0: They're trying to distribute their gametes. Yep. get right. them upstream.
1: So, so now the gametes themselves, those are going to be full of fat and oils but also the skin, what's left of the skin is going to have it, and then the brain has it. So yeah, so these these bears will come, and it is kind of counterintuitive. You think, okay, why would a bear waste anything? They'll just eat the skin and the eggs and the brain. But really, it makes a lot of sense because there's so many of these salmon out there that it really isn't worth their time to eat the rest, eat all those bones and eat the muscle that's pretty lean. It's a lot easier for them to just eat the good parts of the salmon, leave it for the maggots, go and get another piece, leave it for the crows, go and get another salmon and do the same thing over and over. Yep. The percent of a food source that an animal is going to eat is going to be related to the amount of time spent looking for that food source. So whenever food is easy to come by, you're only going to eat the best part. You're not going to eat everything. But when it's really hard to find food, you're going to make the most of that.
0: And it's pretty ghoulish. I mean, you'll see these like carcasses along a stream bank and just the top of the head will be gone. It's just like, ooh. It's awesome. So one cool thing that you'll just kind of see if you're out on the river during the salmon graveyard time, you'll see all kinds of different maggots on fish. I have this one photo of a fish that's sitting half in half out of the water. And the, the part that's out of the water is completely covered in tiny white maggots. I've seen fish with like caddisfly larvae on them. A lot of times you'll see carcasses without the eyeballs because those are kind of the first things that get picked out by birds. A little tasty morsel. Yeah, they're just, I encourage folks to get out and check out the carcasses. They're cool.
1: I like the term Salmon Terry instead of Salmon Graveyard.
0: Oh, I saw this really cool photo. Someone submitted once to one of our photo contests, and it was a, a dead salmon from Kodiak completely covered with copepods. Like it just, it looked like a salmon, but the salmon was gone, and it was straight like small invertebrates. It was awesome, but in the shape of a salmon.
1: So it's like one of those things like where you go and you you think you see like a human figure or something and then it's just like a bunch of either mice or cockroach and they just scatter.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) So can you describe the first time that you're out on the water what it was like seeing these?
0: The first time for work that I encountered these fish, I actually floated down the Kenai with some of the folks from our Kenai office and we were collecting otoliths from these carcasses. And some of the fish I thought they were carcasses, but they were actually alive. And I was like, oh, that suck. I like definitely we're going to get that one. And then it like swam off. It had like rigor It was crazy. So that's the first time I encountered these kind of in mass. But yeah, nowadays, whenever you're just kind of walking along some of these streams that have salmon, you're going to just see them laying there. You're going to see, I went to Potter Marsh the other day with my kids and man, there was carcasses all up in there, like just kind of sitting there kind of caught in the plants and stuck on the gravel and various, you know, stages of decay, white and fuzzy. And yeah, it's just kind of, it's really cool to see them. I wonder
1: what life's like, again, specifically for a female salmon. After you've already spawned, you don't got any more eggs left. Those days when you're hanging on before you die, life has no meaning anymore. I wonder what's going through, what's left of those little pea brains of theirs.
0: They got to be pretty satisfied though. I mean, they, a lot of these fish, if they make it to that point, they've made it through a gauntlet of fishermen, um, seals, like all kinds of predators, bears, waterfalls. They have made a very long journey. And if they get to that point where they have the moldy, moldy head and moldy body, they're just kind of, I mean, that's pretty impressive to get to that stage. I kind of identify with those salmon because like summer is always super fast and like you're staying up till midnight because it's light all the time and then it ball hits and everyone leaves and then you're just like, huh.
1: Maybe they're reminiscing <laughs> about that fun spawning experience a couple <laughs> days before. <laughs> we talked about another zombieish fish earlier this year with Dr. Uh, Von Hippel. We we're talking about sticklebacks. Can you revisit that a little bit while we're on the theme of zombie fishes?
0: Yeah, that was where the stickleback becomes basically part of a parasitic process. So there's a tapeworm. Those things will get eaten by a secondary host, like a copepod. Stickleback will eat that. And then the parasite has somehow evolved this process where it makes the stickleback kind of turn whitish, if I'm recalling correctly, go to the surface where it gets eaten by a bird, and then the life cycle of that parasite continues. But this is a different process that we're talking about here these are fish that have just kind of put everything into moving their gametes upstream and through that process they just start to decay while they're still alive. so no parasite involved, but still pretty gruesome
1: well, there still are kind of parasites involved. I'd argue that the 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 fungi the the saprolegnia growing on them that counts as a parasite okay but it doesn't control their minds that's true. Their minds are just fixed on reproducing. That's the zombie effect.
0: That's a good good point. (laughs) Well, we hope everyone enjoyed this episode. And go check out those salmon graveyards. They're actually pretty spooky, but pretty cool. And enjoy all the zombie fish. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore, production management by Gabriella Montague. post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. As the service reflects on 150 years of fisheries conservation, we honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individuals, tribes, the state of Alaska, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.